Welcome to Potter Familias, coming to you from Fairhope, Alabama. I'm Todd Sylvester. And I'm Stephen Sylvester. How long has it been now since you're in AA that you've had a drink? Coming up on two years. By the time this podcast gets released, it'll probably uh, be two years. So you get your next token? Say again? You get your next token? I would if I was still going to meetings, but I haven't been back since the pandemic stuff started. Gotcha. I haven't felt like I needed to. So when you go to a bar... Mm-hmm. Which I do frequently. Yeah, because you, you gig and stuff. What's your drink of choice? Water. Always water and always with no ice. So, but what about if you're not singing? What about, hey, Stefan, let's all go out. Oh, I love Coca-Cola. I mean, just plain Coke. And I judge restaurants based on how... Now, this is 100% my wife's influence on me. This isn't something that I always did. But right. because of her, she's kind of a connoisseur when it comes to Coca-Cola. So... Whenever I go to a restaurant, I judge the restaurant based on whether or not their Coke is good because it's different everywhere. Because depending on how much syrup and, and how like clean the machine is, like how long it's been since they've cleaned it and whether or not they're getting the proportions right because you set all that stuff. Yeah. It's not like that's automatic. It's like whatever the machine was set on, whoever set it, um, either they got the ratio correct or they didn't most places they didn't if you go to the movie theater and you go to that big machine that has four thousand choices in it the freestyle is that what it's called i think so the big coke machine where you can push the buttons the freestyle machine okay that's what that's called then what do you get coke just straight up coke no flavoring sometimes vanilla coke but i mean i'm really boring when it comes to stuff like that that's not boring i like the ginger ale i like the regular ginger ale fair enough I I, I, i wish it was like extra ginger I don't want more flavoring. I want stronger ginger ale. I want like where it goes down to like Thai hot, you know, like ginger ale for (laughs) for this will kill you. This will kill you. So you have to sign a disclaimer before you can. And I will do that. Digital signature. I'll do that. That's fantastic. (laughs) I uh, I'm the type of person who, and this is horrible, but I'm the type of person who, when I go to a restaurant and I ask for a Coke, and they say, "Oh, we have Pepsi products," I go like, "Okay, uh, you can just kill me." (laughs) <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> but seriously like i'm i'm at that point and i know this is totally like a western first world problems kind of thing mm-hmm. but i am at that point where it's just like i don't even like i don't even want to be out to eat anymore if all you have leave. is pepsi products i will leave like, right now uh, okay experience ruined thanks so much karen uh, no tip no, tip. no, 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 no. I would never not tip someone over oh. something like that ever. And I'm not even going to joke about it. Because, okay. Whoa. Like, whoa. Okay. Whoa. I, yeah. It's it's because uh, I'm around people in the service industry all the time. So. Yeah. I, I have never not tipped people, even when I've gotten mm-hmm. horrible service. Same. I think the only, the worst tip that I've ever left was like a 5% tip. And it was. I think the worst I ever did was like 10%, only because the math was easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's fair. But I think it was something where. After appetizers, we just realized that it was going to be so horrible that we just got out of there. Yeah. And so whatever I left for a tip was probably around 5%. That makes sense. But that was a very unusual situation. The service has got to be, it's got to be both awful and at the same time uncaring and condescending Yeah. in order for me to, to leave less And that's than somebody a, that really needs to get out of that job. Well, yeah. And so it's like, I do my best not to judge people, but at the same time, it's like, we do live in a a culture where tipping is the norm. So, but all all this to say that my wife and I are both very particular about the experience of going out to eat 
And I think that translates to some pretty uh, like ridiculous things that a normal person probably would never do. But it <laughs> but, it makes, I mean, the characteristic is it makes it fun because yeah. I love that stuff about you. By the way, this podcast is not sponsored by Coca-Cola, but if you'd like to sponsor us. LaCroix? No. Okay, cool. But if you'd like to sponsor us, contact us. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> we especially like Mexican Coke. We would not say no to that. Indeed. You want to punch it up? Yes. Let's do this thing. The main thing. The main thing. It's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what year. I should have looked it up before this podcast that PJ, your grandfather, my dad, graduated from college. He had already lined up a job with Bridgeport Engraver Supply Company in Boston, Massachusetts. And his intention when he started with them, because at first he was going to be joining the sales force, but they wanted him to get accustomed to the products that they distributed, which at the time was printing stuff and plates and all sorts of photo stuff. Because back then there were mom and pop printing shops on every corner, and it was a company like them that would distribute to them. So they started him in the warehouse just so he could kind of get to know this stuff. He got on the sales force. He moved up into management. But his intention when he first started with the company was to stay with them until he retired. Oh, wow. And a lot of people, when they entered the job force, that was their intent because that was just the natural recourse of things. My mom, your grandmother, was mad when my dad moved the first time. And they moved, I guess, the first time because they, he wanted to get a larger house or I don't remember, you know, because she had mentioned it. She's like, you moved me from Reading. Like she, she liked the Reading house. And he's like, that was way too small. And then the second time he moved was because he got a big promotion and we moved to another state. Mm-hmm. But he, both of them kind of wanted to just stay in the same house forever. Well, yeah. There was a natural cultural thing that lasted a very long time. You say, well, yeah, but nowadays it seems, no, first of all, jobs, yeah. people bounce around. That's right. Where you live, they bounce around. Hey, let's try something new. No mm. particular reason. Just want something new. Like, what is it? The novelty well, or something? Hold on. No, no, no. You can't say there's no particular reason. Like, we, we got to back up here. So, yes. <laughs> yes, there was. Don't criticize. There was a cultural pressure i don't even know if pressure is the right word there was a cultural let's say tendency that people had to stay committed to one job and one geographical place like one area and i i mean there's probably a lot of different explanations for that so i'm not going to claim to know exactly why that was but it seems like you're right that is definitely changing and has changed a lot since you were a kid yeah so I'm just saying that we're, here we're talking about commitment and the mm-hmm. importance of commitment because fewer and fewer people, like I don't know what the divorce rate was back when my parents got married, but I'm highly suspect it was a whole lot lower than it is today. Yeah. And I don't know the percentage of people back then that stayed with companies, whatever they got into career-wise until they retired, but I'm sure it was a whole lot higher than it is today. Yeah, but I've read that before, too, that people used to go into a career thinking that this was going to be their career for the rest of their lives. And I'm not sure when that changed, but 
when I was in college, I remember talking to a guidance counselor once about potential jobs that I could get with a philosophy degree. And one of the things that she mentioned was going to going into the business world. And I was just like, okay, well, what would I do? She's like, well, you can kind of do whatever you want if you have a philosophy degree. And you can start at one company and learn some skills about this sort of thing. And then you can switch if something opens up in management. And I remember thinking like, oh, well, I guess the world has kind of changed because yeah. I didn't, I hadn't thought that far ahead. I've never been somebody who was interested in going into the corporate world. Um, but this guidance counselor was saying that that's something I could do. And she mentioned leaving a company if you get headhunted as a positive thing, which I'm sure 25 years before I was in college, that would never have been mentioned as something that you should do because there was this unspoken rule of thumb that you were supposed to be loyal to Yeah, it was a stigma. Yeah, Yeah. it was looked down upon, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. And by the way, I'm not even saying that these changes are bad. Neither am I. I'm just saying that unfortunately, because of that, then we might have this mindset of a lack of lifelong commitment because there isn't really many other things that we have lifelong commitments to. I don't think there's much. Well, okay. Culturally, I mean, that's a, that's a symptom, right? The bouncing around from job to yeah. job or looking for something new or whatever the reasons are that people, I mean, normally it's money, right? People move from job to job because yeah. you're going to make more money or it's a better area. And that's a symptom. That's not something that I would point to as a cause. I would just say that culturally people have gotten more willing to not feel a sense of loyalty to a particular job. But I think that's a that's an indication that there's something going on psychologically that this is just a visible effect of. Right. So with the commitment thing, I don't know when it started, but I mean, it seems like there's not... I, I just tried to think just now off the top of my head of something where it's culturally looked down upon to not commit to this thing for a long time. And I can't think of something. Well, can we say marriage? Well, yeah, but people don't think about marriage the way that they used to. Even though the divorce rate is much higher, it's still not, I mean, it's what, 50%, 40-something percent? Yeah, they, they say that. They I'm, say that I'm it's that exactly. high. I, I don't know the numbers, but a lot of people get divorced, a lot more people than used to. And it seems like there's not another... Even if we say, okay, if most people get married and stay married, it seems like there's not another cultural institution that's totally separate from like a religious perspective right? where people feel a cultural sense of, uh, of responsibility to commit to something long-term. I and, can't think of something And else. off the top of my head, I'm only thinking really of the two things in my life. Mm-hmm. that are absolute lifelong. Like even mom wants the house that we're in right now. She's like, is this our forever home? And I'm like, no, no, it's not our forever home. She goes, really? Yeah. She goes, even after all the stuff we're doing to it? No. This house is awesome though. It is, but I'm the one that's climbed around in the attic. That's why I know it's not our forever home. I, I didn't build it. Okay. And and even though I've, I'm adding on a lot to it, it's still not structurally what I started with. Hmm. And if it, now granted, it might end up being our forever home out of the fact that we can't afford to, for me to build my forever home, yeah. <laughs> which would be kind of psychotic. I was going to say that, but I'm glad that you said it that's, first. That's cool. So that I didn't that's cool. Say it. I know myself. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, it's things like, okay, marriage to mom. Yeah. 
that's until one of us dies. For sure. And that's, I'm, I'm blessed, by the way, to be able to say that confidently. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to point out, because some people are like, well, Todd, you don't understand, you know, the relationships that I was in. First of all, Todd, Todd you don't understand yeah. the relationships that I was in. Yeah. Okay. Don't be presumptuous, people. I was just giving Mom, you an example. Mom and I went to marriage counseling at one point in time. And, and I'm not going to say that we were close to divorce. That's not true. But we were certainly on the rocks. I mean, mm-hmm. things were not going well. Things were not jiving. The gears were were out of hinge. Things, it was not going smoothly. Yeah. And we needed some intervention. We needed someone in there for both of us, really, to kind of bring some light in, into our relationship. And by the way, if your marriage is struggling, marriage counseling, if you have the right counselor, is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it can it is, be. It is tremendous. It was for us. And it really put us on back on the rails on a great path. Looking back now, I can't imagine what you know now the ever being separated from your mom except through death. That's Mm -hmm. the only way I can even imagine it. Yeah. Okay. So that's number one commitment in my life. Secondly, is my faith. It's my faith. In fact, it's the only thing that you can't take away from me because you can take mom because eventually she may die and she's already decided that she wants to die first. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that y'all cleared that up. You know? <laughs> I, know. I know when she said it to me one day, I was like, uh, "You're like, okay, what if?" Um, uh, she goes, "No, no, not what if. I'm going first." You're like, oh, "You're a nurse. Um, you really should know this." <laughs> uh, and then I even said, "I was like, don't women uh, live longer? I've had cancer. You be quiet. <laughs> Shut up now. <laughs> Shut up right now, and stop saying words." But my faith life, you can't take from me. Yeah, no one can. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put a gun to my head, but it doesn't take my faith life. Yeah. That's the coolest thing to me. And but other than that, I I don't know what else is an absolute lifelong commitment. Yeah, I mean once you once you have <laughs> my a, car. Well, what okay, so let's let's <laughs> you ain't let's taking point, my truck. <laughs> or my boat. Right. Let's point this out too that once you have a child together, then regardless of whether or not you want to be or you continue the relationship, you are connected to the person that you have the child with forever. Right. So that's one thing where there's sort of a biological permanence to that, but that doesn't require commitment, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, in other parts of culture that are separate from like family relationships, um, it seems like if there ever was this cultural sense of responsibility to stay in one spot or to do the same thing for a long time, it certainly doesn't exist in my generation. Right. My generation would say, do well, and this is interesting too because this has changed over the past 10 years or so. My generation of like older millennials, they're all about self care and mental health and taking the time to make sure that you are doing okay. And that's, I think, a really positive cultural thing that's happened is the stigma of going to marriage counseling, for example, or going to therapy has all sort of started to crumble. That social stigma has almost all the way gone away now at this point. I don't know of anybody other than a handful of crotchety older people who would would look down on somebody for going to therapy. Mm-hmm. That that to me is weird. That's it's, it's like telling somebody they can't go to the doctor. Well, yeah, but it didn't used to be that way. Yeah. There was I remember there being a stigma cuz when I was in high school, when I was in youth group, I I remember somebody saying in hushed tones, like, yeah, you know, she, she's been through a lot. She's going to therapy. And it was like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, I wonder what they're telling her, you know? And 
Now, granted, we didn't go over there and be like, ha ha, you're in therapy, which that would have been horrible if right. we had. But, right. but there was definitely a stigma then. And that wasn't that long ago. That was like, what, 15 years ago? Right. There wasn't, there wasn't a stigma or there was a stigma then that I don't think exists anymore. So now self-care is cool. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of high profile celebrities have come out and said, all right, well, you need to take care of yourself. And so I'm saying all this to mention that, um, that a result of that has been that people are perfectly comfortable breaking whatever commitment they had to work to do something that's going to be better for their mental health or better for their family. And so that's actually a really positive thing about this cultural change, I would say. So commitment in terms of being committed to your career, I don't know if that was necessarily a good thing. And I also don't know if we would agree. I'd be curious to hear your opinion about this, actually. I don't know if we would agree about the potential benefits of the loss of the cultural pressure to remain married. Well, I think there's a certain level that, to me, is healthy. Okay. And I I say a certain level because there's definitely... I've been to weddings where I did want to stand up. Because they don't do the thing like they do in the movies. If anyone here has anything to say, they don't do that. Well, they do in some counties. Well, but if they had said that at some of these weddings, I probably would have stood up or Mm -hmm. mom would have yanked my arm back down. (laughs) But Because you look at it and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. What, what 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 are you doing? This is this is absurd. But the majority of of weddings that I've gone to, the majority, eighty mm-hmm. percent, I'll be like, ah, oh, you know, I, I, they got a good chance. They got a ch- good chance. There's that five percent that I'm like, their marriage is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, just absolutely outstanding. And by the way, I am one batting a thousand on that. Every single wedding that I've gone to, where nice. I said they're going to be awesome, so far it's been fantastic. But that by the way this is not a podcast just talking about marriage it's just that is the most obvious commitment that you're making in front of family and friends that everybody knows about because you're walking around with a wedding ring on yeah. that says you've made that commitment well if you're going to pick something to talk about commitment with that's just a universally understood right thing. but it's also important for us to point out that there's commitments that we make all during the day and all yeah, during our lives yeah, no well, no that we, is that we, the right word yes it is we're committed to certain things because whether it's a covenant or whether it's a promise or or whether it's an avocation we're committed on certain levels and to break quote unquote that commitment in mm-hmm. many of those things is not a big deal at all but we need to understand that we have these tendencies and those tendencies then affect who we are and we have these habits you know good habits we call virtues bad habits we call vices and it's important for us to at least know ourselves because I've known too many people that have found themselves in a place and they're like, how the heck did I get here? By not having foundational commitments that you can fall back upon. Uh, and bingo. So if we're talking about commitments and we're just using that to mean any agreement that you make, then I, th- I feel like that's too loose of a definition. Okay. I would use a different word. All so right. this might just be a semantic thing. But I think that if you're going to talk about commitments, what that word, and I don't know the entomology of the word. Do you know that? No, I didn't look it up. Okay. I, I wish I had thought about that. Yeah, because I could grab out my books. Yes, indeed. I got my books. But I, I wish I knew the root of the word because I would be curious to see if it's similar to the root for covenant. I don't think that it's quite as strong. Yeah, it's it's. I doubt that it is. But if we're going to talk about commitment in terms of like promising that you'll give someone a call and then forgetting about it, it's like that's not a commitment. That's just an agreement. Right. And, and even if you want to use the word loosely, you know, with a, a, 
secundum quid synonym in understanding that that's really not that big of a deal if it was something that slipped your mind. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where if you did tell someone, I'm going to call you, and then later on, you're like, I don't want to call that person. And there's a hierarchy here. So that's different from setting a date to go have lunch with somebody and then not showing up and not texting or calling them. That's obviously... Or if you really did forget... Which which can happen. Sure. So, but in in this spectrum of things, I think that to answer your question from a minute ago of why people get so lost and find themselves in this place where it's like, oh my gosh, like where did things go wrong for the relationships in my life mm-hmm. and the things that are supposed to be these building blocks of building like who, who the person that I am, right. who I'm who I'm choosing to be. Right. I think that what happens in a lot of those cases is that. One way or another, a person finds themselves in a place where they either come to this realization or it's forced to be pointed out to them mm-hmm. by the the nature of their circumstance right. that they never really committed to anything. Wow. And I know a lot of people my age who I'm watching the downward spiral happen. Or if I'm not watching a downward spiral necessarily, I'm watching them get more and more depressed in living out their daily life. And this isn't everybody, by the way. It's just like a handful of people where I go like, ah, I see what's going on here. And I'll yeah. tell you exactly yeah, what... They're, they're headed for... <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what type of person it is. It's the type of person who is extremely fearful of being vulnerable okay. in any way. Okay. So that's the first issue. All right. And some of these people somehow still manage to find someone who will marry them. And then they either never have any kids or... They have a kid and it's the thing that breaks the marriage. And then so they've got a kid, but they're not with the parent of their child. And they seem to not really be comfortable with making commitments at all. And now, do you do you think part of that, though, is a, a nihilism or a lack of understanding of really what's important and then living according to that truth? Because that's well, that's what I've found with a lot of young adults that kind of came through the youth group because they'll come back and they'll be like, Todd, I don't understand why things aren't aren't going well. And I'll ask them. I'll say, well, what's important to you? Mm-hmm. And they look at me like I have three heads. Yeah. Because I think the reality is when they really kind of do a self-assessment mm-hmm. and they look at themselves, they don't want to answer me. You know what's important to me? Me. Right. Me. I'm important. Well, if they're being honest, that's what they would say. And so they are committed to their own self-interest, but they're not really committed to the thing. Like, have you ever heard psychologists talk about the need to the need for um, delayed gratification? Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that's really common in understanding child psychology, but it's not something that a lot of adults talk about. But it's actually really important. And if you never develop the ability to create situations where you can have delayed gratification for yourself, then of course, just being committed to your own self-interest is not going to work out well for you because you have no idea how to set long-term goals that require short-term sacrifice that will then benefit you in the long term. And I'm thinking specifically of a couple of people who have been extremely successful. A couple of them are even younger than me and they're already just moving on up in the world in their career, making a lot more money than I'm making. And (laughs) And I watch the way that they're living their life, and I'm like, wow, you are like absolutely adrift without an anchor. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be a train wreck. Yeah. Well, and see- it, it all, it's just a matter of time. And that's what I mean by downward spiral. It's not like me. Like, I was in a real downward spiral yeah. of alcoholism right. for a while there. And praise God that I came out of it. But 
I'm talking about a downward spiral in terms of they're doing all the right things in order for them to satisfy their self-interest. And at some point, whether it be in a year or 10 years or whatever, they're going to come to a place where they're like, hmm, so I've been doing all the things that I want to do exactly when I want to do them for a long time. And it sucks. Yeah. And I'm not satisfied. Wow. And then and then the bubble bursts with the and, emptiness. Yeah. But, and I'm not like putting myself on a pedestal here, but it's like the, the folks who have come through genuine hardship and suffering that they didn't have any choice in going through, I think understand this better. As long as they didn't allow their suffering to make them bitter. Because I've seen that happen too. Right. If somebody goes right. through an extreme trauma, then it can make you add like the idea of commitment to something other than your self-interest, you can be adverse to that but because of trauma. But that's the heart of commitment. Like, okay, going back to our married relationships, because yeah. that's the easiest one for everyone to see. It means a death to self. I, well, mean, yeah. I mean, me marrying moms it says, I'm going to live for you. And that means I'm not always going to get what I want. And mm-hmm. I'm not always going to, I'm, or really, I should never put myself first. Right. But you would only have that understanding if you can grasp that concept of, all right, I want my marriage to work, so I am going to do things that I don't want to do, and I'm going to do them without having an attitude yeah. and without you know, feeling like I am the victim yeah. of, of a situation I'm that I... I'm not looking I, for any recognition. Like, I chose the situation, but I'm the victim mm. somehow. And <laughs> by the way, I'm I'm excluding all situations where there's abuse or there's oh, like real, yeah, yeah. There's real psychological problems. Here, I'm just talking about no. people that otherwise are healthy, but don't want to make actual real commitments. Yeah. And I think that's actually way more common than the more extreme situations where there is abuse or there is some kind of psychological deep-seated issue that someone is struggling with. I think what's way more common, and maybe this is what's happening, what's way more common in my opinion is that there's a bunch of adults who never learned how to not be teenagers. Yeah. Because a teenager makes decisions based totally on self-interest until somebody teaches them how to not do that. Right. And I think there's a lot of people in my generation who nobody ever taught them how to not do that. And so that's the issue, is that they don't learn these principles that, if you think about it, it's hard to teach your kid that stuff. It requires, and you did this for me, and I sincerely appreciate this, it requires you to not be friends with your child. And you have to do some things that are going... I mean, I was pissed at you all the time when I was like 15 and 16. And it's because you were forcing me to learn this stuff that I needed to learn in order to be successful as an adult. And I think a lot of people who are around my age and even younger just never got that. Yeah. Well, that whole delayed gratification, you know, the heart of it, the benefit is that being Christian, it makes it easier. Yes. Because that's the heart of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're <laughs> here, follow, Christ like, says, follow me. And do the thing, guys. To the cross. All right, you remember that uh, gospel? By the way, <laughs> this is it. When we went to church this morning, <laughs> you guys were, were you paying attention? Just do that. Do that stuff. You'll be fine. Oh, is it tough? Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, so since we've got now this whole generation of people that have that struggle then with commitment, with commitment, yeah. Then what do we recommend? Well, I mean, one way or another, people are going to find themselves in situations where they will have two choices: either they can blame anything else 
for their I'm trying to find a way to say this that doesn't sound impolite, but people will find themselves in a situation where everything seems to be falling apart in the life that they have built. Right. Seems to. doesn't have to actually be falling apart, but it just seems to be. And they will either be like, hmm, so I really think this is because of me. And that probably means that I need to change. Right. Or they will just continue to blame everybody else. And... There's really only those two choices yeah. because authentic change is only possible if you're willing to not be a victim and you're willing to take personal responsibility for the person that you are. Yeah. And so if you can do that, then there'll be this, I think, big wave of people that are in their 30s who are just all of a sudden choosing to become much better people. And I think we're already seeing some of that. Yeah. But the flip side is you see broken families and relationships and people that can't seem to figure out how to hold down a job. And it's because they just refuse to, they refuse to recognize their inability to commit to things. We have some friends that because of their kids have seen the movie frozen and frozen Two about four bazillion times, (laughs) which is a real number. And at first they were like, oh my gosh, we think we're going to go insane. But then they thought, all right, let's make a game of it. Since we know we're going to be watching this so many times, let's just either try to find little things that we've never seen. Or, And one day they were watching it and I forget, Anna or Elsa, one of them said, Anna, 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 Elsa. Not that I know or anything. Yeah. Said, do the next best right, right, right thing, thing, do mm-hmm. the next right thing. And it struck them, and mm-hmm. so much so that they grabbed the remote control and they stopped it. <laughs> and the kids were like, what are you doing? It's like, hang on, I want to back that up. Yeah. I want to listen to that one more time. Do the next right thing. So they call it the theology of Frozen. Mm-hmm. And they, they say that they try to apply it to their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the whole aspect of commitment is that's exactly what we need to do. That's right. The next right thing, which is normally not... I'm about to poke holes all over this, by the way. That's fine. But it's normally not for me. Mm-hmm. If I'm committed to something, then I'm committed to the good, mm-hmm. the, the ultimate good. And hopefully I'm guided by the Holy Spirit to ultimately, you know, down the road when I said, okay, this is what I'm committed to, then there are steps that I have to take yeah. to do those things. And I'm just wanting to make sure that when I do my examination of conscience at the end of the day, that I can say, all right, I, I did a fairly good job. It's never going to mm-hmm. be a perfect job, but no. but I did a fairly good job. Good enough to where I can sleep peacefully and soundly yeah. today. That to me is the whole aspect of commitment, and that's what it means to me. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Paul Coles. Go ahead. Well, uh, it, that phrase, do the next right thing, is not remotely theological on its own. It's actually a very common phrase that's used by therapists. And I made this joke on Facebook a few weeks ago that no one appreciated because they're dumb. But <laughs> I uh, dumb. I said, nice. because there are a bunch of phrases like that that yeah. are throughout the whole, not the first Frozen, the second one, mm-hmm. that are just throughout, that are thrown in there and they feel kind of like, because you know how it's set in this, this yeah, land yeah, yeah, that yeah. doesn't exist yeah. and it's sort of fantastical fiction and there are these Magic. phrases where it's like, wait a second, I've heard that in therapy before. And so the joke was, because there are four or five of these. 
I was like, man, the writers of Frozen 2 must have all gone to the same therapist. Right. And nobody got it. And I was just like, ah, see, I should have shared this in one of those parent groups who were all like sick of watching Frozen 2 because they would have gotten it. They would have thought it was funny, guys. <laughs> but, but yeah. I think it's funny. That's 100% right, though. Doing the next right thing as long as you understand what that actually is. Yeah. Because if you're just acting in your own self-interest, then what you think the right thing is and what it actually is are probably very different. Which is why it's good to get input all the way around. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying this to myself, too, to remind myself. Right. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Commitment's important. It is. And let your, you know, especially getting scriptural, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and... I, I want to be the type of person that people can depend on. I agree. I want my words to mean something. That's awesome. That's awesome. We have the best listeners in the world. Yeah, y'all are awesome. Please continue to like, subscribe, share. And do the things. Comment. Do all the things. Thanks for listening to Potter Familias. Appreciate y'all.